Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the Food Fan, here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It is a podcast that I do throughout the week, and then I string it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the progressive voice of the mountains, here in beautiful Asheville, Western North Carolina. Hey everybody, it's me Stu Helm here at Food Fan Headquarters with another great show for you this week, including my next guest who is uh, a chef and a restaurant owner and an old geezer with a brand new kid, <laughs> which is totally weird. And uh, and he's my original co-host from when, way back when, like 10, 11 years ago, when I first started doing a podcast my next guest was my first co-host. We transitioned that into a radio show. And these days it's both a radio show and a podcast. And my guest is a guy named Joe Scully. Chef Joe, how are you today? I'm doing great. Good to see you, Stu. I appreciate being here after all these years. Many, many years and many yeah. gray hairs <laughs> have been added to both of us since then. Yes, it's true. And uh, if you ever if you put up a picture of me, people will be shocked at how very old I am. Oh, incredibly. They look at me and they're like, God, that guy's so old. And then they look at you and they're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. Um, actually, I'm, yeah, go ahead, Joe. You were about to I'm, say something. Well, I'm I'm staying vital because when at 59 and a half, uh, my daughter Frances was born when I was 59 and a half. And let me tell you, if that doesn't kill you, it will keep you young. Okay. Yeah. I was about to add that we got together in person just a few days ago and you look great. You, you're oh, fit as a fiddle. I know that you modified some of your dietary stuff a lot, like 10 years ago. And, uh, yes. and you look great and you do look very vital, Joe. Well, that's great to hear. I, I, I generally look at myself in the mirror in the morning and think of the war that has been raged on my face. You know, <laughs> It's got a lot of character. It reads yeah, like I'll a say. book. It reads exactly. like a book written in cuneiform. Yeah. War and peace. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, so, Joe, when we did talk about you coming on the show again, and I was excited that you wanted to, um, we I was like, well, what, what's your role? These days I do segments rather than having a co-host. I was never able to replace you. Um, yeah. And uh, and so I, <laughs> now I just roll solo with, co with guests. And right. each of my guests kind of has a theme. Either they're like, uh, just a one-off and they're a restaurant owner or a chef or something, but they have recurring guests and they, one of them talks about multiculturalism. That's my friend Lucho and uh, Jen Hampton comes on to represent the Asheville workers and uh, Drew Peterson comes on to talk about pizza. So I asked uh, you what, what you wanted to talk about. And, and you I, said, and I, I said pizza. You and said you said pizza. that, that, that job's already been taken. I was like typical Joe. <laughs> i'm like well what about me i have a son that makes pizza we won't go there though he does and i you told me he's upset with me because i haven't i didn't go in at all last year yeah he says that sue is uh stew is no fun and he calls me sue now yeah sue yeah, yeah it's bad it is bad <laughs> um well i i actually love your son's pizza there at del vecchio's just to let people know and um so it's just so many places joe so many places i know there's, yeah, you mentioned when we got together, there's, there's 200 restaurants in the downtown area. Just in the square foot that makes up downtown Asheville. 
Right. And it's, yeah. it's I, I think of Manhattan and I think that's got to be more than in Manhattan, but it's probably not. Probably not. Yeah. But <laughs> maybe in terms of density, there, we Possibly. might be challenging some parts of yeah. some big cities someplace. Um, yeah. But Joe, when I asked you what you wanted to do, you did first, you said pizza. And then we had our long discussion about fair is fair. Drew owns a pizza place. And then you said, well, my actual choice is I'm a chef. I'm a cook. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about yeah. ingredients, seasonality. Mm-hmm. And you said the yeah. first thing coming into season was greens, but those are boring. So let's well, talk about radishes. You know, <laughs> you, you, I was amused by. <laughs> well, it's just actually greens aren't boring. Here's the problem with greens. Each little lettuce plant is this cute little lettuce plant that grows up and, and you know, and you have to bend over and pick up each little leaf of, of, of lettuce. Okay. And you can, it's just, it's really, they're not boring. Actually, they're, the, the better word is tedious. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. But so, so what I, I used to do greens and then I would, and then I would do some radishes. And in the last three or four years, I have a pretty extensive garden as many chefs do, by the way, um, herbs, et cetera, et cetera. But I just have said, I'm not going to do any greens. I'm just going to do radishes in, on a large scale. So seven raised beds are going to be filled with radishes by the end of this weekend. Kind of fun. Really? By the end well, of this weekend? Be, the seeds will be. Oh, the in. seeds. Okay. Yeah. I was so like, boom. My, yeah, my daughter Frankie and I are going to be doing gardening together this weekend. And, you know, so it's going to be great. And we're going to literally seven raised beds. We're talking a lot of radishes. It's pretty yeah. exciting. This is one of the things I did some radishy research before our segment, uh, and I found out that one of the reasons radishes are so popular is because they grow in great big bunches and they're very yes. plentiful. They keep growing. You can plant them several times, get several radish harvests and stuff. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I don't want you to take my podium about the radishes because I, I did prepare some comments on the subject. All right. Go for it, man. I want you to talk away. So, Radishes, as I said, they're 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 easy to grow. You know, clearly you want to have nice soil, et cetera, et cetera. But the really great thing about them is that most radishes have a 28-day turnaround. So, you know, you start them at the beginning of March, by the end of March, you've got more radishes than you know what to do with. So that's that for a for a chef, you know, we're really into we're into instant gratification a lot because you know, we're always cooking and moving and doing and doing and doing and doing. So radishes appeal to that in me. And the other thing is that radishes are amazingly useful. And, you know, there's like, uh, just to give you an idea, some of the benefits of eating radishes, um, you know, they help with kidney disorders. Uh, they regulate blood sugar uh, for diabetics and people who are dealing with that issue. Uh, they help with immunity. They do. Uh, they help with cancer prevention. They even deal with, uh, they help with respiratory disorders. And they reduce general inflammation, pain and, you know, pain and swelling. So they, they're, they're great. And they, they, I didn't, when I was a kid, I didn't like them. Mm. Okay. When I, you know, cause the taste was a little bit, you know, strong. Mm-hmm. They get hot after a while. Like the, the heat builds up. Yeah. Yeah. You keep eating them. So yeah. um, anyway, so I, I just think that they're really a great vegetable. And of course you're going to see them everywhere in this city. Um, you, you know, all the farmer's markets are already rolling some out and they'll be plentiful. Um, so they're easy to grow, quick turnaround. 
and they're tasty and their their uses are legion. You can use them in so many different things in so many different ways, which is really fun. You know, um, in the period when I didn't like radishes, I came up with the idea of pickling them. Mm, okay. I, like I mean, pickles. I didn't come up with the idea of pickling them. I, <laughs> oh, you invented pickled radishes? Jim? No, no, no. <laughs> somebody else has a copyright on pickled radish. It's okay. probably somebody much more famous than I. Probably. But, yeah. So what I did was is I would slice them really thin. And I sent the recipe. Hopefully you can put it up. I will. Uh, at some point. Um, I will. But you slice them really thin. And then you just basically put them in a pot with some cider vinegar and some uh, water and some sugar, maybe a couple of bay leaves, bring them to a boil. And you're done. Okay. And if you if you use um, the most common uh, radish, which is the early scarlet globe, yeah, is that the iconic pink and white radish with the rat tail on it? Is no, that, that that's about? another one. No, the the one that you see in in Ingalls or other supermarkets that's really common is that perfectly round red radish. Okay. And that's that's an early scarlet globe, and those things are are interesting because when you pickle them, the uh, the red uh, outside sort of mingles with the white flesh on the inside. You end up with this beautiful pink, uh, you know, sliced radish that you can sprinkle on anything, literally. And they're just great. So that's, to me, that's the most, for the uninitiated, that's a great way to use radishes. Um, an introductory, like a gateway like, r- radish recipe for yes. those reluctant, perhaps. Um, and Joe, I have a question about the pickled radishes. Sure. Do they taste like radishes when you're all done with that? Do they still have radishy flavor? Do they still have oh. that heat buildup? Well, the heat is definitely um, it's sort of like, um, I'd say that it's normalized. In other words, it won't have that slow burn because it's basically going to, by the introduction of the heat, it kind of breaks that whole thing down. Okay. But it will still have a bit of a bite. It'll still have that funky radish. There's an oil in radishes that gives any type of radish. It gives it this sort of, I guess, the only word for it that I have, and I have a pretty good vocabulary, is funk. Okay, gives it a funk. Okay. Yeah, a little bit of a funk. So that, so the pickling doesn't take that away. So it's got that kind of that, that deep, interesting multi-level flavor but then it introduces the sweetness and the sour and it creates a really nice um complexity that i i think is really pleasing that's um that's great joe <laughs> i'm kind of <laughs> lost in thoughts about radishes and turnips and the relationships between them and stuff like that do you, what do you know about that what's i mean turnips radishes rutabagas they must all be related right well they're cruciferous um, Listen which to is a professor yeah, Joe. <laughs> they're, they're brassicas. I mean, there's, yeah, they're, they're definitely a, um, a, you know, uh, in a category of plants, which encompass things like Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cabbages, uh, radishes, all those kinds of things are all in there. Turnips, rutabagas. Um, and <clears throat> you know, they're, they're all kind of related, but they all have their own different kind of uses and, and values. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but now I want to put a plug in for my favorite radish. And that's the one you described. It's this sort of pink top with the white bottom and the little rat tail kind of thing. Yeah. That's called a, a French breakfast. And that's an heirloom. I and love the reason it. they call it yeah, French breakfast radish. And the reason I think they call it that is because in France, oftentimes you can get a nice piece of bread with some butter and then just shaved radishes on top. And that's that like good. Yeah. That's the beginning of your day. That sounds great. Great for your breath. I, 
<laughs> oh, is there a breath issue with radishes? I read online that there's a little bit of a gas issue. They might cause you to fart. I yeah. guess that's the only way we can say it, Joe. Um, well, you could use the term flatulence, which is a little bit nicer. I guess so. We all know I what I'm it. talking it's a about. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but no, I don't think that. You know, I've never heard somebody being called radish breath. Yeah, no, I don't think so. It gives you, it repeats on you, though. That's one thing about radishes. They do repeat right, on yeah. you. Right, yeah. And you can kind of like, get, oh, yeah, yeah, I had radishes for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Reminisce about your French breakfast radishes. It was so nice. I had a cappuccino and yeah. some. Well, yeah. Was, anyway, was... so there's other things about radishes that are really great. I'm just going to, okay. because I know that we're going to get tight on time here pretty quick. But um, first of all, <clears throat> the greens mm -hmm. are completely edible. Right. People kind of generally toss them, and you shouldn't. When the radish, if you're picking radishes really young, the greens you can you can actually eat them raw, but they're a little um, a little fuzzy and kind of not the most pleasing mouthfeel. You can no. chop them up really fine and toss them in a salad, and that's fine. Okay. But you can also uh, cook them. Um, you can you know you can add them to literally anything. You can do a, a wilted. Uh, uh, wilted radish greens with hey get this pickled radishes on top um which is kind of a cool thing total yeah, utilization yeah. that's Sounds another great. thing that cooks like you know we don't like to throw things away because mm -hmm. we paid for the whole thing we want <laughs> you know? yeah. just go talk to Stephen goff about it yeah right exactly yeah he and i are very much on the same page in that respect yeah but yeah. then um so greens are really good so don't throw them away you can also make pestos out of them oh. and my favorite thing to use them for is a uh, frittata. So okay. you can wilt the greens, put the eggs over, and then put other stuff, Parmesan, herbs, etc. It's kind of cool. So the greens are highly useful, and I just want to give a plug to that. And, okay. Uh, Shout out to the greens. Don't forget the top part of the radish plant. And I'm yeah. sure that much like radishes themselves, those greens must be full of some sort of nutrition. Yeah, they're they are really um, they're really great. Um, so the other thing you can do is you can sprout radishes so there's so many varieties oh, you can I love you, radish you, sprouts actually they're right so you get, style good yeah you get what you do is you get um daikon seeds which is a type mm. of radish and you can just put them on in a tray uh, usually on some sort of like a spongy surface and you just sprinkle them uh put water in the bottom put them in the window and they'll sprout up long and kind of um tall and very very pretty with a little bit of green on the top and they're amazing. You just cut they're those great, guys, great. And put them anywhere, put them in Asian food. Uh, definitely has that daikon radishes definitely have a little bit more, a little bit more of a bite, but they're great. I love um, daikon and I love radish sprouts. And here's my tip for radish sprouts. They're great on a sandwich that's uh, cream cheese and tomato and on rye bread. And then a big oh. pile of radish sprouts on that. It's really nice. Good. Yeah, very good. Rye, cream cheese, and some sort of a radishy flavor are great because, you know, you think about horseradish, which mm -hmm. is actually is a type of radish and very mm -hmm. stout. I've never actually grown horseradish, though, Well, um, but it, I may do it, you know. Joe, challenge. I challenge you. <laughs> Joe, speaking <laughs> of challenges, I want to do a little bit of radish trivia with you. Oh, God. All right. Here we go. <laughs> um, this one's the first one's multiple choice. All right. How long have people been eating radishes for? Has it been 5,000 years, 3,000 years, or 1,000 years? Oh, at least five. 
and 3,000 years oh, and re- wow. recorded in recorded history. And here's the next question, Joe. Wow. Um, what, what part of the world do radishes originate from? Oh, let's think. I, you know, I really don't have any idea. So I'm going to look forward to making a bizarro guess. Okay. I would imagine Asia. Can you narrow it in? You're doing great. Uh, so I would say maybe China. Ding, ding, ding. You're, yeah, you're 50-50 on these. Uh, how about some true or false? Okay. Radishes were consumed by the Egyptians while they were constructing the pyramids. Well, that's right. It's a little tight for time there, because if you've only been eating them for 3,000, I would say that that could be true, but I'm going to call false just because I'm trying to put things together logically, and that's just who I am. It is true. Darn. Okay. They were introduced. They took off like wildfire. Once people started eating them, Everybody started eating them, the ancient Greeks, the Egyptians, as I mentioned, and they just spread like crazy. Have you heard about the famous radish wars? No, Joe, are you yanking my chain right now, or is this a true story? It's complete fabrication. Okay, because I would love, I would actually love to hear about the radish wars. I know there were spice wars, and yeah. uh, there was a, a tulip f- fanat- like uh, craze in Europe and stuff. So, well, it's yeah, already they, they, for... yeah, the, the tulip boondoggle or fracas, right. whatever you yeah, want to yeah, call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's all the trivia I have for you, Joe. Oh, that's it. Three. Yeah, but, I was um, girding for a, a long one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no need to gird. Maybe next time. Gird, gird yourself. Well, now that you've said that, definitely gird yourself for next time, Joe. So, yeah, um, I'm gl- I'm so glad to have you back on, Joe. I'd love to have you back on a regular basis. Talk sure. about seasonal food. Uh, the, the chef gardener, Chef Joe, with the dirt under his nails. Although, scrub those up before you start cooking, Joe. I will. Yeah. Hey, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of a nice idea to think about geeking out about a particular product or a particular thing that's happening in, uh, you know, in the food service. So I'm, I'm into it. I think it'd be fun. Yeah. Come up with topics and we'll talk about them. And actually that reminds me, I wanted to tell two stories about radishes. One is that one day, uh, you know, that TV show, the chef's table. I kind of know it. I I hate, shows about food i never yeah, watch me too. It. that's a I, weird quirk with me oh you're the same i never yeah do. i don't People like always it. like you gotta watch and i'm like nah, I'd rather no not. Yeah. so i watched an episode and they went to some farm and they ate some 400 a person meal and there was a radish tree like a a metal armature with radishes stuck to it and they were just the radishes like no nothing and mm-hmm. there's like this big eloquent thing about how great these radishes were i was i was just like this is why i don't watch shows like this man so, yeah because it's false it's a radish I mean, kind of is, yeah it's a freaking radish folks it's okay okay yeah. so that's one and then the other is when i first started doing food tours i used to go into a restaurant downtown that's no longer there and the chef before he really figured out how to do food tours right. food tour food he served us a radish 
And he must have seen the same episode of the chef's table I did, man. And he popped <laughs> up this dang radish. And I got a one-star review on Yelp. It was like a nightmare because I usually get good, great reviews. And I was brand, sure. new, brand new at the job. And I'm getting one-star reviews. And my boss, Patty, like calls me and says, oh, I read the guy's review. And I think he's full of, you know what, because, you know, he said that at one stop, you got a radish. And I said, Patty. and so i had to sit down with that chef and by the end he was serving us like fried chicken and biscuits and stuff and so he he dialed it in in the end but those are my two radish stories joe one single radish yeah yeah well the other thing is i i do think that um if you can grow if you have any place to grow anything this is something you can grow so you should i mean i'm urging our listeners to just get out there Put some radish seeds in the ground and go for it. I'm going to do it, Joe. All right. When should I get my seeds in the ground? This weekend would be good. Doing it. All right. You've inspired me to grow radishes. I hope you've inspired the audience to do the same. Cool, man. All right, Joe. Well, thanks for coming on, and we'll schedule another one real soon. All right, man. All right. Take care. Have a great day. See ya. All right, y'all, I'm out here on Hendersonville Road in Arden at a food truck called Sweet Plantain. And they got a little commissary kitchen or something attached to it. It looks like they park here permanently. They don't have any tables yet. Those are coming. So me and Lucho are going to stand at the bar and have our lunch and breakfast. I ordered breakfast items. Lucho got a Cubano sandwich, and uh, he's obsessed with those lately. And I am obsessed with breakfast, so I decided to opt to get some of their breakfast items, including one of their uh, Cafe Con Leche. And I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Really nice people. I met the owner, uh, Michelle, and she seems like a very nice person. They're busy right now, so I didn't have time to talk to her. But I'll try to get her on the podcast sometime to talk to us. Actually, I'll try to interview her before I leave. All right, man, I just got done chowing down on my food. I had a guava pastry and some sweet plantains. I got the dish that the place is named after. And I got um, something just called Cuban toast, which was Cuban bread pressed with butter. It was really delicious. And I got a cafe con leche. And they were all great. I'm full. I didn't even finish. I'm going to bring a bunch home. But my buddy Lucho stood next to me grunting and making sounds and being all like in love with his Cuban sandwich. So you're digging that one, Lucho? I'm loving this one for sure. I am so glad that finally, actually, that we both came to this place. I have come here a few times, but I always only come to get a cortadito, which is what I'm drinking right now. This espresso Cuban coffee that I love. But today was the day that I need to try this Cuban sandwich because I've been in the search for the best Cuban sandwich in Asheville and I 
I'm enjoying what is happening and I really love that people are engaging with that content. They're making suggestions. They're telling me where to go. And uh, it's great, man. I love Cuban sandwiches. So, yeah, I've been following along with the rest of Asheville while you go on your tour of Cubans. <laughs> not, not tour of Cuba, but of Cubans here in Appalachia. There's a surprising number of really great Cuban sandwiches available up here, which has kind of not always been the case. Um, I remember when people used to lament that they couldn't find a good Cuban sandwich in Asheville. Maybe they didn't know where to look, but maybe a lot of these places weren't here. The place we are now, Sweet Plantains, has only, it looks brand new. Actually, they have been around for a few years. I have known, they were on my radar for at least a couple of years before I even got here. Okay. So they've been around. All right, well, um, and how many Cubans have you eaten in the last six months? How long you been on your journey and how many have you had? I thought you were going to say in the last 24 hours, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. So far, I believe I had five. Five. But I think I'm going to go maybe eight or ten tops. Okay. And then I'm going to ask people to really decide which ones they, they like the most. If they have been to those places. And hopefully we can find the best Cuban sandwich in Asheville. That's right. You're going to let the people vote? For sure. All right. Yeah. All right, so stay tuned, AshevilleMulticultural.com, Asheville Multicultural on social media. Follow my friend Lucho as he goes on his Cuban adventure here in western North Carolina. And it's been fun to watch him, and I've been trying to eat the other food just so that the other food can get a little highlight as well. All right, Lucho, I'll check in with you later. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, as I said, Lucho and I just enjoyed our meal very much, and now there's a little break in the action, so I'm outside with Daniel, uh, one of the co-owners, along with his uh, partner, Michelle, on the truck. And Daniel, how long you guys been at it? Well, thank you so much, too, for coming and stopping out. We appreciate you taking time out of your day to come out this way. Uh, so we've been in business in about four years. Uh, so here at Sweet Plantain, uh, we are food artisans. And we, what we do is specialize in hot-pressed Cuban sandwiches. We use the authentic Cuban bread. And because we use the freshest ingredients to marinate our meats, it helps give that special touch that you feel when you try our food. We were actually trained by our executive chef, Patricia, who is another owner. She's not here with us today. Okay. Uh, and in combination with my background in nutrition and Michelle's background in customer service and restaurants, uh, we formed Sweet Plantain. Nice. Yeah, so we, we called our company Sweet Plantain because plantains being a staple food of many Latin American countries and Caribbean countries, it helps us share our culture and heritage through our food. That's fantastic. And I actually had the sweet plantain side dish, and it was great. Oh, thank you. And uh, Michelle <laughs> talked me into some cheese sauce, and I'm glad she did. Yeah. It was perfect. <laughs> yes, yeah, the perfect, perfect addition. Pairing. And you heard, both heard me say that my friend Lucho just about lost his mind over how much <laughs> he loved your Cuban sandwich. So he's eaten uh, five of them so far. He's shooting for eight total before he does his best Cuban sandwich in Asheville sort of voters thing. And uh, so you guys are a contender for sure. Oh, well, thank you. We, like I said, we appreciate you taking time out to visit us. Uh, it means a lot to us. Thank you, Daniel. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You do the same, Stu. Thanks. Daniel. Daniel. Sí, <laughs> ¿De dónde es que eres? Bueno, yo soy aquí de Estados Unidos. De aquí, de Carolina del Norte. Oh, ¿en serio? Y he vivido en Texas y en Missouri también. Pero me la, más, me la he pasado aquí en Texas. ¿Y eres mexicano? Mis padres son mexicanos, sí. Yeah. sí. Wow, man. Right on. So, what part of North Carolina are you from? Uh, I was born in Morgantown, but I was raised here in Asheville and Hendersonville. That's awesome. And I was talking, I've lived in Texas. Uh, I lived there for almost three years, and I lived in Missouri as well. So I got a little bit of experience of different places, but 
I've had the opportunity to travel out west as well, in the Pacific Northwest, as well as uh, Miami and stuff. Well, let me so. tell you, truly, like, your sandwich, I love your sandwich. Oh, thank it is you. Really well, thank 100%. you. Thank you very much. <laughs> we appreciate it. Yeah. He, right he made guttural sounds while he was eating <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is good. He's all like, <laughs> like a caveman. <laughs> thank you guys so much for stopping Thank by. you. Like, yeah, we'll have a great day. You. I'm sure that you're going to... Boom, man. Oh, yeah. You'll take off. People love a great Cuban in this town. Michelle, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We'll talk. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Bye. Hey, everybody. It's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters. And I have another special guest with me. I have a friend of mine, really great guy, someone I love very much. I have Mr. James Sutherland, Chef James Sutherland, Chef Owner Chef James Sutherland from Blue Dream Curry House. Hi, James. How are you today? I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. And I, I hear you when you say hanging in there. These days, asking somebody how they're doing is is a dicey question. Yeah. You, you never know what kind of answer you're going to get. Um and I and we I understand there's some been some very public posts and in stories in the Citizen Times and such about what Blue Dream Curry House is going through right now. But before we touch on that, let's talk about the history of Blue Dream Curry House. You've been a fixture downtown for a long time. Uh, you and I have gotten to know each other over the years. You make great food. The food there is awesome, in my opinion. And why don't you just tell us when you started and we'll go from there. So just a little bit of the background. Um, my business partner, Sean Park, and I were working um, together in Atlanta for a couple of years. And, you know, we went through a lot of different jobs over the years and different restaurants and saw an industry that was um, it needed. It was going through growing pains and it's still going through growing pains. But we. Um, we wanted to change the way that things, the status quo and the way that things were going in the industry. Um, we saw a lot of people that, um, especially immigrants that were having to work at multiple restaurants to be able to pay their bills, sometimes 70 to 80 hours a week. Um, at that time, you know, making eight or $9 an hour was pretty standard as a line cook. Um, and, you know, we wanted to do something different. We wanted to create something that had a better model um, that was a little bit easier on employees in terms of the way things were set up and the kind of prep they would have to do. Um, and then also we wanted to make sure that we were making a pledge to pay a living wage. So early on when we started, um, we developed a relationship with Just Economics in um, Western North Carolina. Um, they're an organization that calculates the living wage based on property values and kind of what's necessary to be able to pay for an apartment and be able to pay for food in, in the area. So we made that pledge from the beginning. And I think that we're one of the only places at that time that started with that model. A lot of places have, have become living wage certified since then. Um, and I, I hope that, that we had an impact on that. Um, but when we started, it was 2015 and we were trying to be more of a fast casual restaurant to begin with, um, but we uh, took the approach of, you know, some of these bigger companies like Google or something um, where we wanted to make adjustments um, every 
you know, few months and be able to get feedback from our customers and our employees um, to be able to make adjustments. And so, you know, we changed a little bit, became a little bit more full service, added some things to the menu. Um, and at one point we decided we were going to take a stand um, and become a no tip restaurant. And there's a lot of misconceptions about that. Um, but the real reason is that we wanted to create some equity between the front and back of house and kind of get rid of that separation that exists in so many restaurants. So um, for a while it was working and people were happy. Um, but again, you know, we wanted to make sure that we weren't stuck in our ways and our employees came to us, especially front of house employees and said, if we accept tips, we'll make more money. And, you know, to be honest, the, the no tip model wasn't really working for us. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that, that, you know, we can get into in another time. Um, but, you know, we started off my business partner, Sean is a great chef. Um, he created the menu and created a lot of the recipes and order guides and everything for us. Um, and the system is great. I, I It's the only restaurant I've ever been a part of that we can get out 30 minutes after close. You know, if everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, then, um, you know, it's a good system. It makes sense for the bottom line as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of the backstory and kind of, you know, where we started. Okay. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's a familiar story to me. I've been following your arc for a long time and I was around when you were doing the no tipping system and it was, kind of an exciting experiment and it lasted for over a year correct yeah we we gave it two full years two um, full we years sure we had um some kind of track record to look at so that it wasn't just kind of a knee-jerk reaction mm -hmm. and um but it's a really difficult model um this industry because of government lobbies and a lot of other things, the way things are priced, you know, with big companies, it's very hard to do a model like that in the restaurant industry. Um, and we, over the years, have always tried to be a little bit progressive or a little bit mm -hmm. ahead of the fold in terms of um, the business model. And it's it's definitely been a challenge. Yeah, definitely. It's always a challenge to try to I don't know. Should we just say do the right thing? Um, that's always the more difficult path to take. And uh, along with, um, you know, the living being living wage certified, you have some other things that are part of your mandate, including protection of the environment. And you use local ingredients for as much as you possibly can. And what other ways do you uh, are you devoted to protecting the environment? Um, one of the things, you know, we've been signed on with uh, compost now for a long time. Um, I think we've diverted something like 15 tons of veggie scraps over the years to uh, mostly local schools and their gardens. Nice. Um, and that's, that's something between being efficient in terms of how we use, you know, we pickle our broccoli stems, um, we compost all our veggie scraps, we try to, you know, for the most part, use compostable and 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 good quality um, to go where. Um, that's been something from the beginning that we that we wanted to wanted to encourage. Um, it's hard though, and you know the reality of running a business or a restaurant is that you're going to create an impact on the environment. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in the end, you know, it's it's impossible to have zero impact if you're going to start a business. Um, but we, you know, we tried to do the best we. We could with that and then um, as far as using local ingredients you know we 
we signed on with Mountain Foods at one point. Um, they do a really good job of helping restaurants in the area source locally as much as possible. So we told them, you know, whenever we can get local veggies, we want to use local veggies. And so, you know, we've had red peppers, we've had kale, we've had zucchini, we've had other things that have been local at different times. Um, our greens are from a, a hydroponic farm that I think is in South Carolina. So they're all, you know, fairly local. And we've used apple brandy, beef and pork over the years and hickory nut gap pork for the lumpia and um, you know, just trying to support these local brands and companies um, to kind of give back to the community. Because I, the way I feel about it is, you know, you can look at business as a profit-driven model that you're trying to make profit. And that's the, that's the underlying thing. I mean, anybody who goes to MBA school will tell you that's, that's what a successful business is. It's a profitable mm -hmm. business. But for me, a business is an economic engine to help the community. So there's um, helping, you know, paying good wages, helping people pay their bills. There's supporting the community in different ways. Um, there's, you know, doing charity events and doing dine outs, you know, to, to give back to local nonprofits. And, um, you know, those are all things that that we've done over the years. Yeah, you sure have, man. And uh, we we appreciate all of that. James, thank you uh, for all you do through Blue Dream, not just providing good food, but being a, a good citizen and and beyond. And so let's talk. Let's fast forward to the to the year 2020 and the pandemic hits us real hard and all the restaurants shut down and they're, I call it the glitch and nothing's ever been the same. And from then on, uh, uh, go ahead. You were about to say something, so just jump on in. I said nothing's ever been the same. Take it from there, James. Yeah, I think the pandemic, when when COVID first started getting really bad, it was almost like we were in a post-apocalyptic world for a little bit, um, and maybe we are in one still. But that period of time in 2020, I remember – being in downtown, I had to lay off the entire staff. I had to, you know, go to a takeout only model because everything was locked down for a period of time. And there was nobody downtown. And it was like a ghost town leaving work. Um, and it was really bizarre. Yeah, um, I remember. I went downtown. And, oh, I'm sorry, James. I just want to say I worked downtown walking around all day. So that was my life prior to 2020. And then during the shutdown, I live close to downtown. So I walked down there and it was like earth after people, you know, it was very strange and eerie and creepy. And from that point on, it's just been so strange and so weird. And you mentioned switching to a takeout model only at the time. And you have recently done that again. So even though it's two years later, it's almost like we're on repeat sometimes around here. So why don't why don't we jump to today and talk about what you're doing right now and and we can talk about some of the issues currently with downtown Asheville. Yeah, we so this will be kind of the the breaking story. Um we probably aren't going to be in business after this weekend. Um we've tried to do takeout only for a couple of weeks and it's been slow. We've got, I mean, I've had a lot of support from, from our regulars and our local community. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to discount that, but it's been slow to the point of, you know, I, 
I don't want to run on this hamster wheel and not really be able to make enough money. And it's not, it's not worth it at this point. Um, but as far as why this has happened and, and why we've gotten to this point, you know, the first thing is, you know, I'm, I'm the owner and I'm the manager of the place and I have to take responsibility. You know, I could have made tough decisions a year ago and probably kept the business going a little bit longer. Um, but the reality is that because of the way this world has changed and our economy has changed, um, which comes out of the pandemic, but I think that a lot of the really the real impact from the pandemic, we haven't felt it until this past year. And it's going to be another year, I think, of, of economic difficulty um, and just changing hands. You know, I think that the corporate world, you know, you can say what you want with conspiracy theories and everything else, but they were ready for this. They knew this was going to happen at some point and they had a plan in place. And you can tell that they're ahead of everyday people in terms of their preparation for what's happened in the economy. Inflation, you know, when you have companies, big companies like U.S. Foods or Cisco or any of these, you know, big giant corporations, they um, they're more profitable than ever right now. And there's a reason why so many small businesses are struggling and so many people are struggling right now. You know, I read a story the other day that 20 that that retirement accounts on average are down 25 percent in the last year. Yeah. So what that means is that there's been a recession happening and that we're kind of just trying to be in denial and not let everyday people know what's going on. Um, you know, it's the longest period of time in the U.S. history without a recession. So, you know, that. Things are going to be rough when we printed nine trillion dollars in currency in a couple of years. And the unfortunate reality of that, you know, I think that stimulus money was great. And I think that there should have been a lot more that three quarters of that should have gone to everyday people. But instead, a third of that went to everyday people. And those people had to pay down their debts and go to the grocery store every day and pay pay their bills in different ways. So all of that money, that all of that nine trillion was printed by the government and there was a plan in place to make sure that cor the corporate world took all of it. And so what we're seeing now is that there's massive inflation, prices are going up, but they have that money already at the same time on top of that. So it's a big squeeze that's happening. And, you know, we we've experienced it in a big way through property values going up. That's one thing that's a big deal. Um, you know, I've talked to my, my girlfriend, Cassidy Moore, she works for Habitat. And so housing, you know, I, I know a lot about what's happening in Asheville and what's been happening in the history here. And the reality is that, you know, when property values go up, rent goes up, you know, rent goes up for businesses and small businesses as well. But then the living wage has to go up to match that. And so what's happening is people are having to pay higher wages so that people can afford to live. And all that money is going to companies like Hawthorne and these big apartments and, you know, a lot of landlords around here. Yep. And, and honestly, like I know local people that own houses that are being very fair and, and pricing things in a fair way to try to help the community. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, you know, I got pushed out of my apartment at Hawthorne. They wanted to raise the rent $300 a month. And on top of that, they tested for radon and it tested positive. So I'm like, why would I want to pay 1800 a month God. for an apartment that might have radon in it? You know, yeah. so it's just unbelievable what's going on in the housing market. And that's also a big part of what's happening downtown and why there are, I mean, I was out here a few nights ago. There's a king size mattress sitting on the ground 
and two, you know, meth heads jumping up and down on it right outside my business. People are trying to come and pick up to go orders and they're scared to come through the door because of what's going on. And it took like two hours before anything happened, but I don't even think the police came. I think it was just that they moved on after a while, you know, so these are the kind of little things that are happening all over the place. And you can't blame people that are struggling or people that are addicts or people that are down on their luck. You can't blame those people for the situation. The situation is an environment that has been allowed to get to this point. So, you know, like I said, I, I have a lot of things that I, I want to get off my chest, but you know, I, I don't want to go too far. Well, James, I, I, uh, I love what you've said so far. You have said it very well and eloquently, and I appreciate your, your words. I'm really sad to hear the news about blue dream. Uh, not completely shocked, uh, but very sad. Um, and I'm sure that the rest of the community will be real sad to hear that too. But I also know that you've been uh, personally working very, very, very hard. You're currently the only person working there uh, and you've worked hard this whole time. And it, even in the good times, restaurant industry ain't easy. And so I would imagine that at this point, it's actually quite a relief for you to put it to bed, even though there's probably a lot of other emotions involved as well. Uh, so thanks for sharing that with us. And uh, in terms of downtown, yeah, it's it's a mess right now. And it used to have a lot of charm and beauty. And a lot of that is gone. And part part of it is that it's dirty. Part of it is that pieces of it were dissembled and never replaced. Uh, and it's just a it's a mess downtown. But uh, that being said, it's still really nice downtown, too. I do go down there a lot. And while it just feels like a big, feels like a big little city in some ways, or a little big city, if you will, in that it's dirty and there's a, a lot of people living on the streets. Um, and that feels growing things. It is. And we need to adapt and we need to do some stuff about it. And that's a whole conversation for another time, which I would be more than happy to have you back for, James. Um, we got to wrap it up right now and, and get going. But I'd love it if you had just a moment to say one last thing to the folks of Asheville. Well, I I just I really appreciate the support over the years. This community has a lot of amazing people um, and you know, what's kept it going is the support from the community and support from the locals. And, you know, I, I, I want to encourage people to stay here and to try to do what you can to contribute to this community, because there is so much potential here to create a local economy that can do amazing things. And, you know, people are doing it every day. Um, mm -hmm. But we have to make sure that we're aware of the issues and, you know, keeping up on what's going on and trying to get involved as much as we can in trying to keep this community the way we we dream it can be. Yeah. Great. Great final sentiment on the show here today, James. And yes, Asheville is a wonderful city with a ton of potential. Just needs a little spit and polish right now, in my opinion. Um all right. Well, brother, thanks for coming on the show. I'll talk to you in person real soon and uh, have a have a wonderful day today. All right. You too. Thanks, too. Bye.
All right, everybody. And that was this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Before I let you go, I just want to tell you about a few things I ate at a few cool places around town. Now, first of all, I don't know if I mentioned it already, but if not, Don and I took a trip out to Neng Juniors, N-E-N-G-J-R apostrophe S, Neng Juniors, and we had a wonderful meal. Oh my God, this place has been nominated for a James Beard Award. And uh, I gave them the best new restaurant uh, of the year award for 2022. So I always like to say I'm a little bit ahead of the James Beard Foundation when it comes to that. And uh, a lot of times I literally am just a little bit ahead because my awards come out in January. Their nominations come out like in late January, early February. I'm not 100% sure, but a little while after mine. And uh, so go to Nang's, get anything on the menu, sit at the bar if you can. I feel like I've told you all about this before. So let's move on to the next thing. Still over there in West Asheville, I got an amazing chicken dinner, half chicken dinner from Ganshan West. If you ain't been to Ganshan West yet, call, order your stuff online, get on in. There's like two seats inside. It's very small. I'm exaggerating, but it's very small. So get your stuff to go, order it ahead of time. And when the half chicken dinner is available, they will announce it on Instagram and it sells out like crazy. So follow them on Instagram. And I would even recommend signing up for their newsletter because that's where I found out about it. So the half chicken dinner from Neng, from uh, Ganchan West. And uh, it is exactly what it sounds like, a half chicken. It's covered in this amazing garlicky Asian sauce that's fantastic. And it comes with a ton of rice and a bunch of this cabbage slaw type stuff and might have jicama in it i'm not sure and that is very spicy and then i added a couple of sides and made it awesome and so that i recommend very much next i just want to mention my local cafe right here on south french broad pollen p-o-l-l-e-n it is a flower shop and a cafe and they have pastries from the rue one of my all-time favorite places so i was able to have a cup of coffee and have a nice pastry from the Rue. So thank you, Paulin, P-O-L-L-E-N. And then I attended, you know, getting to brunch. I told you I was going to have a brunch review for you. I ate brunch at like 7.30 at night. I went to Mayfell's, not to be confused with Mephil. Mayfell's, the original sort of New Orleans-themed uh, restaurant bar on the corner uh, of what is that college street in Haywood right across the street from Pritchard park, right smack dab in the middle of downtown Asheville. And it's been around since long before I lived in Asheville and it has recently sold and it shut down. There were some renos and it's reopened, same name, same theme, different owners, different chef, I believe. And, uh, they had a soft opening where they invited a bunch of media people and friends and family and stuff. And I went and it was 7.30 at night and it was the brunch menu. So I was like, oh, I've been eating brunch. So I ordered me some Eggs Benedict and they were very standard and delicious. By standard, I mean it was, um, you know, poached egg with hollandaise, Canadian bacon. And the only thing that wasn't traditional, so maybe traditional is a better word. Uh, the only non-traditional thing was on the bottom there was instead of an English muffin, some of that bread from New Orleans. Now I'm spacing out on the name. It's something like Leinenheimer or something like that. But some traditional New Orleans po'boy bread underneath the poached eggs and hollandaise sauce. And they were great. So if you're a fan of Eggs Benny, it's a pretty standard traditional take on them at May Mayfell's. 
not sure if they're open yet. Uh, and then for my taco, from White Duck Taco, I got their shrimp and grits taco, which is a great taco for breakfast or brunch. It sounds weird, shrimp and grits, uh, grits on a taco, corn inside of corn. And then there are some uh, deep fried grit croutons on there. So corn inside of corn with a little bit of corn. And then some grit, some shrimps, and some sauce. And it sounds crazy, and it is crazy, but it's really, really good, really tasty, and I recommend it for your breakfast taco, but you could eat it any time of day. So the shrimp and grits taco, and get it while you can, because it's not going to be on the menu during the summer, I don't believe. And finally, I just want to shout out Zella's Deli down there on College Street downtown. Patty and I, my boss from Asheville Food Tours, went in there for a little lunch junket. And uh, we were going to share a sandwich, like share one sandwich. And they were like, can we send you some food? And we never say no. And so three sandwiches came out, plus two enormous sides. And we put, we crushed the sandwiches. I We didn't eat all the bread, but we ate all the fillings. For the sandwiches, we bread. The bread was excellent, by the way. Especially they sent out a meatball sub, and uh, uh, Italian sausage sub with grilled peppers, and they the bread on those was awesome. And then they also sent out a cold roast beef sandwich, which was excellent. The roast beef is roasted in house. Chef Mike Reppert was very happy to tell us that he does it in house and that he has no boar's head roast beef in his kitchen so he was psyched to tell us that and they were really good like me and patty were psyched the sandwiches hit the spot like the meatball sub was really good in particular and as i mentioned the bread on those subs was excellent so there you go a little rundown of where i ate last week since the last time i talked to you and uh i can't wait to uh tell you about the next place i eat <laughs> i don't know if you eat someplace great tell me about it as always and thank you for listening to my show thank you to wpvm 103.7 the progressive voice in the mountains for taking my podcast and broadcasting it on the radio and thanks of course to my guests for being here and everybody please follow me on social media my tag is Stu helm food fan on all the platforms. I don't know if I'm not on one you follow, come let me know. I'm, I'm on all the big ones except for Twitter. I quit that when old numb nuts took it over. But uh, yeah, follow me on social. And I'll and if you're doing something cool, like if you're a restaurant or something, I'll follow you back. If you're just a regular old person, I tend not to follow you back because I feel like that seems creepy. Like you're just following me because I write about food. You didn't really want me to like look at your family pictures and stuff. So if you want me to follow you, drop me a note, I guess. I don't know. All right, folks. Peace out. If you eat something good, let me know about it. Bye.
This episode of the Food Fans Radio Show was underwritten in part by Asheville Food Tours. Did you know that there are over 200 places to eat and drink in downtown Asheville alone? It can be overwhelming. Whether you're a visitor or a local, there's no better way to experience downtown Asheville than taking a food tour with Asheville Food Tours. Details, pricing, and an easy-to-use calendar can be found at AshevilleFoodTours.com. That's AshevilleFoodTours.com.